you would, remain standing and open your Bibles to John chapter 1. We're continuing our series there, John chapter 1, today verse 29 down through 34. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of God stands forever. The next day he saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. This is he of whom I said, After me comes a man who ranks before me, because he was before me. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water, that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. And I saw the Spirit descend from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. And I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. The word of the Lord. Let's pray and ask for help. Father, thank you for this, your word. May we be transformed by it more into the image of you, Jesus, our King, our Savior. May your Spirit help us in these moments to see this Lamb and why it's needed and who we are in light of it. Help us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. So last week we spent some time on the anti-introduction speech. John the Baptist went to great lengths to say, here's what I'm not. I'm not this, not this, not this. He confessed, he did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. He's setting aside any notion of who he is in, in this program, I am not the Messiah. We talked about how good that is, not only for John the Baptist, but also for us. He's saying, I'm not Elijah, I'm not the prophet, I'm, I'm not great. There's one who's coming, who's a king, Jesus. And so far in John's gospel, we have not seen Jesus yet. It's as if until last week, the curtain were utterly closed. And we're all watching this drama unfold, but the theater's dark. No lights on. And all we hear are these beautiful and massive words like bellowing out of the introduction in chapter 1, John's prologue. The eternally existent word, the Logos, with God. And he was God. Before all things spoke all worlds into existence, doesn't get any bigger at all. And then finally, this word became flesh and dwelt among us. We've seen, we've beheld his glory. All of that with the curtain closed. And then the curtains open up and we see this weird scene. We, we would expect some great fanfare, right? The, this, this cosmic king has finally come and, 
And instead, the, the curtain opens up and we see a delegation coming from the Jews to ask John, who is he? Who are you? Isn't that so upside down? The gospel always does that. It kind of, everything is upside down here. Like you would expect this cosmic king is flesh. Like there needs to be a party. And yet we have a delegation saying, wait a minute, you're a threat to us. You're a threat to our power. You're a threat to our setup. We have everything like we like it. And they come to John. And we went through that last week. Now Jesus, for the first time, comes on the scene. Introductions can be hard. Have you ever had to introduce? We, we've all had to introduce people, but formal introductions. Think about how you would introduce someone, maybe your wife or best friend or husband. How would you do it to somebody who doesn't know them at all? How would you introduce that person? You're going to try to touch on the, the highlights, right? What's valuable to them? Maybe something about their character. Introductions can be hard. Very difficult. This week we come not to another anti-introduction, but an introduction by John the Baptist of Jesus. This introduction changes everything. From here through the end of chapter 1, Jesus will be identified. He's finally on the scene, and the rest of the chapter has this flurry of titles. They're just coming out. The Lamb of God, verse uh, 29 and 36. The Son of God, verse 34. Rabbi, 38. Messiah, Christ, 41. The Son of God, again in 49. King of Israel in 49. And Son of Man in 51. It's like he's got this bone to pick. I want you to see him. I want you to know him. I want you to know this, gr this grand, vast introduction is true of him, this person over here. His name is Jesus. The text before us is full of sight words. It's full of words um, attracting the eye of John. John saw Jesus coming toward him. John saw the Spirit descend on Jesus and remain. And lastly, he pulls back and says he sees the Son of God. That'll frame how we approach this, seeing the Lamb, seeing the Spirit, seeing the Son. First the Lamb, the next day, the next day he, that is John the Baptist, saw Jesus coming toward him and said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Let's not skip over the next day. This language also runs through chapter 1. John is telling us up front, he's marking days of the week. That's just kind of odd. It should strike us as a little bit odd. What's going on this week? Well, John opened like Genesis. He opened with, in the beginning was the word. Now, we know that in the beginning marked a week. It's a week of work going on. Now John is wanting to point out the various days, and he's marking them. Day one, verses 19 to 28. Day two, the next day is our text, 29 to 34. Day three, verse 35. Day four, verse 43. Then chapter two, verse one says, on the third day, literally two days later. 
the end of the week, the height of creation. And you're going to have to be here for chapter 2 for that section to know what God is doing there. But I point this out to point out that he, he's, he's looking at Jesus and he's saying he's coming to recreate the world. He's coming to remake all things. He himself who spoke all things into existence, is coming to do it again. This world is broken and fallen into sin and death, and Jesus has come to recreate. Ben Glad says John opens his gospel with explicit reference to Jesus as the creator of the first cosmos. So the first six days of work of the work of Jesus at the beginning of his ministry are equivalent in nature and force to the first six days of the work of God at the beginning of time. He's coming to make all things new. He's recreating. John's narrative is so balanced. He, he begins with a week. He focuses on it. It, it concludes with another week devastating week in the life of Christ. What's John's point to us in marking these days and the next day this happened? It's this. You need to be recreated. You need to be remade from the inside out. And Jesus has come to do it. He's here. He's come to remake us. And by union with Christ, we partake in the new creation itself. We're being renewed in the image of Christ. Today, we are being fit for heaven. So here, in day two, John finally introduces Jesus. Again, I wonder how we would introduce someone that we think of as great what would we think about John introducing Jesus? What do we think he should say? Like, what would you say if Jesus is coming and, and you're, you're outing him, right? So far, nobody really knows him, and here he, here he comes walking up, and you look at him. What would you say here? He says, look. Look at him. I imagine he probably pointed. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world an introduction the lamb of god this person who looks utterly ordinary who in the last section was lost in the crowd he's like he's among you and you don't know him here he says look he's not walking around day in and day out jesus isn't with some halo on his head yes he will walk on water but not every day he looks ordinary. Historians say in this time, men were five foot, five foot three on average, a beard. Looks like a normal man. Here he comes, walking up. Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Why Lamb? Precious moments, big dream cute, cuddly, with like huge eyes looking up at you. Oh, so cute. No. Oh, this is a devastating introduction. 
It's utterly devastating because lambs were for killing. They were for death. They were for sacrifice. Lambs meant death. This thread stretches back from the the Garden of Eden all the way out to Revelation. It could be the guilt offering. Passover lamb. Lamb led to slaughter. Lamb among daily sacrifices in numbers. Lambs sacrificed on the Day of Atonement. The servant of the Lord in Isaiah. Scapegoat in Leviticus 16. The lamb in Revelation. John's introduction of Jesus is framed in term of sacrifice. Here he is, this great God, the one who spoke all things into existence, who's now walking in your midst. He's going to die. He's going to die. Since the fall of man into sin, death had to occur to cover the sin of the people. That's what sacrifice is about. Death. After the fall in the garden, do you remember what Adam and Eve did? They got fig leaves to cover up, right? Did those make good garments? No. God says, utterly unsatisfactory. And then, do you remember what happened? God himself kills an animal. Something had to die. Something had to die, and then they were covered with the skins of that animal. we come to the Old Testament text from our day, it becomes a little more clear. Either you're going to die, you and all your family, or this lamb is going to die. The death angel is coming, and somebody has to die. Somebody's got to die. And it's either going to be you or this lamb. And all the way back there, we see this picture of who Jesus is going to be. The sin nature says the same thing about you and me. Because we are sinners, born in sin. Sin according to what we do, but also what we don't do. We are sinners. And the results of the wages of that sin is death. We must have a lamb. And this is borne out throughout the scriptures. I mean, we see it in Isaiah 53. He was oppressed. And afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. It's telling us what Jesus is going to do. Jesus, this lamb led to slaughter. Literally, to, to take away the sin of the world. To remove sin. He's going to die. Jesus is going to die to deal with your sin. I wonder what your view of your sin is. That's how big the lamb is. That's how devastating a reality that the Son of God would have to die to, to take away our sin. Yet we think so little of our sin. Oh, I'm fine. I'm, I'm okay. It's just No, it's just a little wrong. (laughs) And yet here, from the time he's introduced, this this cosmic king of the universe, he's going to have to die because of sin. Hebrews 10 gives us a glimpse. 
Jesus as this lamb. He talks about priests and the, doing the service, repeatedly offering sacrifice. And he, then he says this, but when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sin, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected all time those who are being sanctified. He is the final lamb. He's the last one. He's the only one that could cover our sin. I love the glimpse in Revelation chapter 5. Then I looked and heard the sound, heard around the throne, and the living creatures and the elders and the voice of many angels numbering myriads and myriads, thousands of thousands, saying with a loud voice, worthy is the lamb who was slain. In the center of all their worship, this is a glimpse of glory. It's all of us together with angels and archangels. And it's so many people. He could hardly imagine that scene. It's, it's, it's vast. And they're singing a song. Worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and might and honor and glory and blessing. Here he is coming on the scene. He's just walking up. Jesus, the Lamb of God, is from God. We just sang those wonderful words. How deep the Father's love for us, how vast beyond all measure that he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. Lamb of God, sent by God, sent by the Father for wretches like us. He's a conquering lamb coming to remove sin. Sin is missing the mark. The, the shorter catechism, uh, any want of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. That's every single one of us. All of us fall into that category. We all deserve death. We all transgress the law of God. Jesus came to do something incredible. To remove, to take away the sin of the world. John's use of the word world is really interesting across his writing. He's talking about the world of men, people, all people. Jesus didn't come to take away the sin of Israel. It's a remarkable thing. Look, here comes the Savior of Israel. It's not what he says. Coming to deal with the sin of the world. And this is good news for us in this room. It's good news because this, this lamb is not just for us. It's not just for people who are like us culturally. It's for every nation, tongue, and tribe. This is good news for the world. Listen, right now, the, the racial tension is, our country is rife with it. What are Christians to do with that? How are we to think about and process that? Think about stuff like this. The Savior of the world, the Lamb of God, came to take away the sin of the world. This is for all of us. So is he saying, though, that everyone in the world is, is like 
pastor said it's a universal salvation. No, I don't think so. He's writing this book to convince us who Jesus is. He's writing this for faith. Believe. Believe who he is. We're meant to look with eyes of faith and see this lamb today. The sacrificial lamb. And from the very beginning, he was born to die. Not only does John the Baptist point us to this lamb, but he tells us about seeing the spirit Verse 30 is the third time we've had this reference about John being before Jesus, but not really. This is he of whom I said, after me comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. We saw this twice already in the prologue. He's not the light, but came to introduce the light. He who comes after me ranks before me because he was before me. Why this drumbeat? What's John doing? Why three times is he having to make this point about John, John being lesser? I think the lesson is subtle. John was great. He had a lot of disciples. Many followed him. We even read an account in Acts 18 of Apollos. He spoke and taught accurately the things concerning Jesus, though he knew only the baptism of John. We know that John the Baptist's disciples had a huge impact in the first century I think the subtle point that John is making is this you're easily distracted the fame of John has caught your attention and you keep looking at him you keep going to him you keep thinking about John the Baptist you keep following him you're practicing the baptism of John the Baptist stop looking at him you're distracted that's why this drum this three-time drumbeat of John the writer telling us, hey, it's not John the Baptist, it's Jesus. And I wonder about us, because this is subtle. I mean, things come after our hearts all the time. We, we too are prone to distraction, specifically looking at the wrong person. People are great. There's some great ministers out there Are any of them Jesus? No. No. Wives, your husbands aren't Jesus. Husbands, your wives aren't Jesus. Families, kids are great, but they are not Jesus. Don't let them distract you from him. Your best friends school buddies. They're great, but they're not Jesus. People we look up to in this life, so many of us, we're we're prone to distraction. I think that's why this drum is getting beat again and again and again. John the Baptist is great, but he's not the Messiah. I think we need the lesson ourselves. People are great, but they cannot save us. The forerunner is a great mouthpiece. But listen to him. I am not. I am not. I am not. And who is he then? A voice. I'm a voice. Now John goes on to spell out the baptism of Jesus. I myself did not know him, but for this purpose I came baptizing with water that he might be revealed to Israel. And John bore witness. I saw the Spirit descend 
from heaven like a dove, and it remained on him. I myself did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, He on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, this is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. John gives witness about his ministry. We, we learn a little more about what he's doing out there baptizing. He's baptizing with water, but he's pointing to the ministry of another. His ministry is to reveal Christ to Israel. John is saying that the importance of his story is simply to show, point out, uh, introduce Jesus. Something interesting happened that sealed the deal. He saw the Spirit descend onto Jesus. He's referring to his baptism. All four Gospels give an account of his baptism, and it, it is accompanied by these three signs. But first of all, we need to see another image. There's so many layers in John. So Jesus is the new creator. He's also the new and better Israel, because here he is, Coming in, baptism in the Jordan, a new exodus is here. Israel failed time and time again. They didn't get it right. God kept telling them what to do, and they wouldn't do it. Israel failed at every turn, and at every turn where Israel, Israel failed, Jesus is going to get it right. So here they are again at the Jordan River. The true Israel is there to be baptized, and there are three signs. Heaven is ripped open. Can you imagine? this gaping hole in the sky where suddenly realms don't matter like everything is like mind utterly blown realms heavens are open the spirit descends on jesus as a dove and the voice of the father is heard this is my beloved son in whom i am well pleased so it wasn't just john the baptist but john the baptist knew this when when you see that happen that's him that's my guy. That's the Messiah. It's a monumental event. The Trinity is there. Father, Son, Spirit at work for the salvation of the world. John only mentions one of the signs. He sees the Spirit descend on Jesus. And he says, now I know. Now I know. That's him. It's interesting. He says he, he, he didn't know him. What do you make of that? We know that he knows him. We know that they're cousins by their mothers. We know that they likely grew up together. At least in some proximity to one another as family. John isn't saying he didn't know him like that. John is saying, I didn't know he was the Christ. I, I didn't know who he, who he really is. I think there's a subtle lesson, again, embedded here for us. We can be around Jesus. We can hear spiritual things, and we, we can be around spirituality and still not know who he is. Yeah, I know Jesus. I, I trusted him when I was six years old. And still not know him have no idea that he's the Christ, the Messiah, the, the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. That's what John is saying. I didn't know that. I didn't know that until right now. I didn't know that until I saw the Spirit come down on him like a dove. Why a dove? Creation imagery. Creation imagery. Remember everything was dark and chaotic and, and uh, without form and void and what happens next? 
Spirit of God hovering over the face of the waters. Back and forth, maybe. Some have written, this is, this is God, his power brooding over his creation. Power. Creation. Then again, you see a dove. You remember the whole scene with Noah. Recreation, right? The world was in a mess. God sent a flood. Then the dove reminds of life. Dove. And the earth being renewed. Here he is. The, the renewal of the earth is here, and it's a person. His name is Jesus. We're given that symbol again and again, and it points to Christ. Judgment is passing. Salvation is near. That's what the dove means. Judgment going away, and salvation is near. The Spirit is all through John's Gospel. When you read of the Spirit, think of power, think of beauty, think of glory. Something is about to happen. The Spirit is kinetic. Apart from the power of the Spirit of God at work, we would still be in our sins. Apart from the power of the Spirit of God, there would be no salvation. There would be no removal of sin. Apart from the power of the Spirit of God, there would be no church, no word, no sacrament. The power of the Spirit hovering over the dawning creation and continues to spread with power and glory. If the, the gospel goes out to every nation, tongue, and tribe, it does so because the Spirit is at work. John is saying when the Spirit came upon Jesus, he saw him differently. He used to be just a cousin, a nice guy. Friends with uh, our, mom, our moms were cousins, that kind of relative. He was great, but everything changed at his baptism. Christ, who was taking away the sin of the world, John realized, and it took the Spirit for him to realize that. Do you see that? I think this misunderstanding and moving to understanding is exactly what the Spirit of God still does. It takes us from misunderstanding to understanding. Apart from the Spirit of God enlivening us, we will simply see Jesus as another man, maybe a good man, maybe a teacher, maybe a sage full of good advice. But apart from the power of the Spirit at work in us, we also will not see Jesus rightly. We will miss it. There's one last image we're meant to see. Behold the Lamb. John saw the Spirit, and we're also supposed to see the Son of God. We know that the baptism of Jesus had profound impact on Jesus himself and those who were there. At the inauguration of his ministry, could you imagine Jesus seeing and hearing all of this? Feeling the weight and import of it. Now John looks and declares, and I have seen and have borne witness that this is the Son of God. This is John the Baptist's witness, and what a great model for evangelism. It's not me. It's not me. I'm not great. I'm not Christ. I'm not the prophet. I'm just a voice. 
there. Look at him. Look at the Son of God. That's the one you need. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Jesus, the one over there. He's the one and only Son of God. Could you imagine that? That This is the longing of the rest of our lives as Christians is to catch this beatific vision, to see the face of Christ. That is what we want. And that is what the world had. That is exactly what John is saying. Just consider that for a minute. There, the one walking up, that is the beatific vision. You are seeing God, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. It's truly good news. It's truly good news. And embedded in it is a question. What are you going to do with that lamb? What are you going to do with Jesus? If we listen and truly hear the good news, judgment is passing on. Salvation is drawn near. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved because he is the Lamb of God. And he has come to do exactly that, to save sinners. Let's pray. Father, may we believe and so have life and light. Thank you, Jesus, that you came to recreate Thank you that you came to lead a new and better exodus out of death and into life. May we join with you in union through faith. Lord, do that great work by your spirit. Continue the good work that you have already done. Open eyes and ears. Pray all of this in Christ's name. Amen.